You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with the Classical Theatre of Harlem. This podcast is supported by the Ian Michalski Foundation. I found it interesting how you went from Shakespeare to the African diaspora, specifically Afrofuturism, because it's such a far distance from the original era. I believe that these plays are living arguments and that when you actually read the full text, not cut down versions of them, but full text, you'll see that Shakespeare, he was commenting on the ruling class in these plays. And for some reason, he found a way to comment on the workings of folks who make decisions in society. Now, I think what's tended to happen over the years is that the ruling class has essentially taken over how we see these plays. So Henry V, when you read the play, the entire play, you actually see the war criminal. When they talk about the wooing scene, famous wooing scene, you know, Kenneth Branagh and stuff like that, the beautiful movies, when you read the entire thing, he's basically telling Catherine, you don't have a choice. I'll start this war up all over again if I have to. We talk about Romeo and Juliet, right? Oftentimes it's just about these two star-crossed lovers and even the way that they're cast is sort of this traditional hackneyed way of casting whoever the play talks about being behind Verona walls, that these two households both alike in dignity, but they're behind walls. What's that about? Why would two families need to put themselves behind walls? Do they think that they're special? What's wrong with those people outside of the walls? Romeo himself says, I'd rather die inside the walls than be banished outside of them. So, you know, there's something about these two dignified households who do things that are so ridiculous and silly but stupid that their children die. You know, what is that about? So I think what's great about what we do is that we try to make sure that we keep these plays as living arguments. It doesn't matter through what lens you see them through. Whatever lens that you see them through, at least presented by Classical Theater of Harlem, we think is the kind that speaks to a 21st century audience. That it isn't sort of locked in this way that has been traditionally seen. But it doesn't mean that the words have changed. It doesn't mean that the themes have changed. And it doesn't mean that the comment on the ruling classes have changed. I agree more with what Ty said. One that I did a few years ago that, you know, speaks very clearly to our age is Julius Caesar. To be able to do these plays in home with a BIPOC cast just says, this is about you too. Because in this country, again, kind of like Ty was saying, the ruling class has taken over and sometimes remove this work from exposure to people of color. So for a long time, in my experience, growing up in this country as a black kid, I have found that just the casting, the traditional casting of Shakespeare and the classics is so racist. But it does speak to all of us. It speaks to the human being, as I had suggested, why we do the place. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation you are. It doesn't matter what, you know, your background is. The human being is essentially the same person. But, you know, now, anybody else that wants to listen, because we're in Harlem and we are a BIPOC company. I remember when we did the Scottish play, and oftentimes when I would do interviews about it, immediately they go to famous text from the place. Tomorrow, in this petty days from day to day, so on and so forth. Everyone knows that. And for me, I think differently about powerful text within that play. So what gets me is in these cases, we still have the instructions, which being taught, return to play the inventor. That's Malcolm X saying, 
That's the chickens coming home to roost. Wow. You know, that is the way in which empires behave with other countries where we unilaterally will go into a sovereign nation and take their resources. And guess what? Sometimes that stuff turns on you. And next thing you know, you might be in a position where you are paying for the faults of those who came before you. We're seeing that right now. We saw it on television last night in those interviews and in those meetings with the January 6th. I happen to have missed the one that happened on Tuesday, but talk about the support that he had for this man that was running for re-election, but it came home to roost when the man did not win. He wanted to cheat and Rusty Bauer would not help him and paid professionally and in a domestic way that were horrible that he described. And, you know, this is still the same thing that Ty has been talking about. This, yeah. again, to me, speaks to Judas Caesar and the leadership and etc. Yeah, and there are plays that even talk about how well, one, you know, gets so tethered to the moment that they don't see anything else around them. I mean, we've seen it in these texts, and I think it's our job as artists to present it in a way. I actually think there are many ways to present it to ourselves. You can use comedy, music, dance to be able to speak to anybody who wants to be a contributing citizen in society. I'm just glad that we have these great plays and great texts and great actors to be able to use these vessels to speak these words, we hope that we can move people in some sort of profound way. I hope that at the end of seeing that piece of great art, their hearts begin to beat and sink. I believe that all progress begins with a conversation. So if this art has created some sort of conversation where that person to the front, back, left or right of you, who may never speak to you or who would ever speak to you because we have the most diverse audiences in New York City. I'll put us up against anybody. So some of the community initiatives that we do are making sure that other cultural organizations can share stage with us. So during the summer, we invite Young People's Course of New York City, Chamber Music Center of New York City, Jasmo, Harlem Opera, Harlem Chamber Players to do pre-shows. Like on Fridays when Jazzmobile is there, you get jazz and theater that evening. So. It's one of these things where I think it's important that multiple cultural organizations have to know that we're all essentially singing from the same sheet of music and being of support to one another. Right and now. this is free. That's all I want yeah. to say. And it's, it's free. free. You're getting all of that and it's free. Let me add one other thing. Part of the engine behind this is Harlem itself. So a hundred years ago, the Harlem Renaissance happened and we're celebrating that right now. It was a time period. We're standing on the shoulders of people who were under stress a hundred years ago. They were under siege. They did not have access to healthcare. They were experiencing police brutality. And this was a diverse neighborhood. Let's be crystal clear about that. Harlem a hundred years ago was quite diverse neighborhood. A number of the people that we hear about today that are part of the Harlem Renaissance, patrons who were white, who were foreigners, the gay community was very strong. So let's be crystal clear about that. Also, they knew at that time that they didn't have any political representation. So they had to look to each other to be able to have the kind of critical conversations of the day so that they eventually had Adam Clayton Powell become a representative. They eventually got from hospital. And if you look and read some of the materials back in those days, the way the people got together to talk about those critical issues of the day was through the arts. And I feel that that's going to be very important nowadays. We're going to think about, particularly in the neighborhood of Harlem, where we are going to have to look to one another to try to solve some of the issues in a self-determined way.
And as you look back at the canon, I know you're doing classical works, but it's really interesting the question about who decides what is in the canon and what for you makes a masterwork. Here's the simple thing of it. We do classic plays, we do revivals, we do musicals and contemporary plays as well. Why do we do contemporary? Because we will read plays and if our team believes the play is excellent and that if given the test of time, they will become a classic, we call it a future classic. And why do we do that? Because we can. We've asserted that this piece of work by Dominique Mortorol or Kemp Power, or Betty Shamia, we determine that their work is worthy of being called a future classic because just because it's new doesn't mean that it isn't worthy to be seen over and over and over again and there's not something to learn from those pieces. But I'm crystal clear that those playwrights that I mentioned before, I know that there's some argument in academia about you know the dead white guys and stuff like that. When you actually just read the words and read these plays in full, they are commenting on the ruling class. Many of them are. It isn't just art for art's sake. So that is the challenge of doing not-for-profit theater is that we're dependent upon foundations and government. But you can bet that I want to find a way to have a revenue stream come into our organization. I have to be so dependent upon them. But I think that that's the way this has been set up. But many things are set up that way where, you know, you're not looking to bite the hand that feeds you, but the hand that feeds you kinds of know that they're in power. Like being in philanthropy, and again, I'm thankful for the people who give us money, but the idea essentially is sort of this desire of kings. There's a great book by Lewis Lampton that talks about this. There's something about Americans and wanting to have certain fiefdoms, meaning that people will genuflect to you, so they'll give you money. And there's something that's embedded in what we do. We still, to this day, for some reason, have deference over the king and queen of England. I don't know what we do. So there's something that's embedded in us. And who knows, maybe through these plays that we do, we can start to unplug ourselves from that. But in doing so, I think we have to have the leadership in place. I want Classical Theater of Harlem to be a healthy, middle-class organization. I'm not trying to be the Kennedy Center or anything like that, because I truly believe that a healthy middle class, let me take it out of theater for a second, a healthy middle class leads to a healthy society. Societies don't work if it's just rich people and just poor people. There must be a healthy middle class. And I feel the same way about presenting organizations. If they're middle class across the United States, of arts presenting organizations, then I know that the arts will be healthy. I know that the arts will be in good shape for a long time to come. On the topic of your free shows, why do you guys find it so important, your dedication to producing free stories in this form? I think that theater ultimately is about people gathering. It's about bringing people together, again, to see a piece of art with no other agenda. That's ultimately what it's down to. And uh, you can go to you can Netflix and chill, you can go watch a movie in your home. It's built for that thing. Theater specifically for me is about bringing people together. It is about breathing together and having that experience together. Yes. It's about what, ha you know, because to me, theater is not actors up on a stage doing a play. It is actually the thing that electricity in the air, in the chemistry that happens between an audience and the thing that they are watching live together. Theater, it's very powerful, but odorless, it's tasteless. It is that electricity in the air that happens between the performers and the audience. And why shouldn't that be free? You know, why shouldn't that be for everyone? You know, Shakespeare and Ibsen, August Wilson and all of these people. This is performance literature. It's not to be read solely in an English class or pursued 
solely in an academic environment. It must be seen. That's why Shakespeare wrote it. It must be lived in and seen and experienced in its natural form. It's you meant know, to be dramatized. It is meant to be dramatized. You don't get everything from it simply to read it. It must be said. And you want to see a good one, you know. And what's good, we don't know. But he mentioned these reviewers, and I could not agree more. I just did a play where the reviewers came and didn't know what they were watching, but they wrote about it anyway. It was, uh, I don't even have the word, I was gobsmacked. I was like, this person doesn't understand this play at all. Writes it from such a point of view of authority and of arrogance mm -hmm. that it was, it was mind-boggling. But anyway... It's performance literature. It must be seen. Yeah. It must be experienced. We, we've got to be the arbiters of our own work. We've got to be the ones that have agency to say, yes, this is how we see it. Simple as that. And be unapologetic about it. And other people to say, oh, I get that. Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that was quote unquote good or bad or if the review was blah, blah, blah. But I got something from that. So I'm willing to support that. And I'm willing to come back and see what other conversations they're having at this arts venue. It becomes a spiritual process, this gathering together of experiencing a play as one body. So what is your faith? What is my faith? In the literal sense, I was raised Christian, but who I am is the possibility of creating some sort of worldwide listening or awareness of humanity. And that's something that I can work on to the day that I die. And I trust that the work that I'm doing will leave some sort of legacy. And I'm gonna have faith that the work that I'm doing Somebody out there will say that it matters and try to move us towards a more perfect union, move us towards understanding humanity more. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.